This is Nerd Podcast Radio, brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash nerdpodcastradio. Check out and support us on Patreon for tons of content, including a bonus episode for each episode. If you'd like to reach out to us, the best way to do that is our Nerd Podcast Radio Facebook page, where we share all sorts of nerdy stuff. You can also find us on Instagram, at Nerd Podcast Radio, and on Twitter, at Nerdcast Radio. Don't forget to review us on iTunes or whatever podcast provider you use. Reviews are important as they help our podcast grow. Thanks for listening, everyone. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Nerd Podcast Radio, your nerd home away from home. Welcome to Nerd Podcast Radio. I'm your host, Super Vegan Brian, and I am joined by Kersey Smurf Erica. Hola. David the Above the Third. Hey, everybody. And returning fantasy cartographer Adam Meyer. Hello. And for those of you, those of listeners who, for, I'm going to re-edit that. <laughs> and for those listeners who don't know you, please tell us about yourself. I'm a Greyhawk nerd, role-playing nerd. And when I moved to California from Sweden 10 years ago, I decided I needed something to do. So I started making fantasy maps full-time. That was so succinct. What? <laughs> It, like she's practiced or something. There, I in my head, there's a little bit of competition for succinct infos intros, and I think you're second to Odin. <laughs> because I'm Odin's honored. is I'm I'm Odin of Odin makes, and I have a show that makes props, sort of like a cooking show. Every time, it's the same thing every time. Yeah, it's the ele- it's the elevator pitch. It's That's pre-recorded. Awesome. <laughs> <sighs> oh, and. Um, there's a little ASMR gulping audio for those of you with um, swallowing misophonia listening to the show. <laughs> if it's bad, I'll edit it out. Um, so um, we're going to be talking about world building. We've had Anna on several times, and for the first time, we're going to do a topic about the things she does. <laughs> yep. But first... But first, we're going to play everyone's favorite game, What's Nerdy With You, where everybody talks about the nerdiest thing they've done in the last two weeks, and we vote using the patented Mike Myler widget system. Recording stopped. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know when I got good at that, by the way. I just know at some point you guys started teasing me about it. <laughs> and um, a quick it's, add It's on. not a bad thing. It, it sounds the same every time you say it. It's great. <laughs> um, right before I hand the mic over to Anna and let her share her nerdy thing... Um, Anthony will be joining us this morning. They are running a little late um, on the extra dimensional highway, but they will be here soon. They are visiting the Dollar Star. Mm. Yeah, rush hour traffic from there can get bad this time yes. of day. Too bad not everything's a dollar anymore. It's like more like a dollar twenty-five. Oh, not the Dollar Store, the Dollar Star. I know. Yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. The the they the, I think the Nebulas are up to a dollar fifty now. Exactly. Man. <laughs> Remember the good old days of Quatloos. <laughs> I love the look on Anna's face. She's like, I don't know what they're talking about, but I've I'm just going to I've been to a dollar store once. <laughs> I went in there just to see what the, what it was. That's it. Or download. Yeah, I forgot which one it was, but it was one of them. So I, I know what the phenomenon is, but I've barely been there. So, yep. <laughs> I, I will. I will. Um, I'm going to pull the curtain back. I was trying to make a joke that Anthony went to Starbucks. 
Oh. <laughs> is that too middle class? So you went with dollars. No, his, dollar, his star. His, his analogy for the name was not very good. I, okay. I should have said. I should have said. Um, Anthony's on the Galactica on a mission right now. Mm-hmm. That would have been better. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh uh, well. So, as usual, when we play what's nerdy with you, our guest always goes first. So, Anna, what's been nerdy with you? Normally, I've, I've had a lot of, of, of really, really cool things, but the problem is that these days I'm just sitting at home. I didn't make a Gen Con or anything. So, so but last week we, or yeah, it was not that long ago. We we had an episode for on the Lord Gusumba channel for that for our Legends and Lore show on Twitch that we're going to do Vecna and not Vecna just in general, but Vecna for the world of Greyhawk where Vecna actually came from. So mm-hmm. I was like, now I'm going to do my research because I knew that it was going to be a big episode seen by a lot of people. So mm-hmm. so I, I went in and, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to try and read everything that has to do with Vecna and Vecna and Greyhawk. And I also wanted to see Vecna in general culture. So I was like, I'm going to binge watch Stranger Things and I'm going to read everything about Vecna. So for like four days, I binged watch like one season of, of Stranger Things. I read Vecna in the evening, laying, sitting outside on the patio in the dark, reading on my, my tablet, reading Vecna, went to bed, dreamt nightmares about Vecna, went up before sunrise and hiked up in the hills in the dark and then came back home and and thought that i damn i got so much fantasy overload that i probably needed to watch a real world documentary and talk to my mother to bring me out into the real world because it was like even for me it was fantasy overload in a couple of days and that's one of the few times i felt like i probably live in this world now i need to come back to, to the real world a little bit that was kind of but it was a cool experience because i can understand why people are superstitious and see monsters everywhere because if you've seen, heard, listened to that for three days and you're out in the dark by yourself, there's monsters everywhere. So so it was it was it was really cool. So that was the nerdiest I've done in, in, in a while. Yep. So the widgets are loading themselves into their transportation module to already head out to Anna. But we still have to continue the rest of this game anyway. <laughs> so Eric, uh David, mm. what's nerdy with you? Um, I recently started watching a face, a couple of Facebook channels. One of them is a a group of guys who back in 2018, uh, had come in contact with a man who had a computer that was from the lunar mod, the lunar lander module from the Apollo missions. And they went through and in a, span of 20 videos or so on youtube went through and tested every single component we're actually able to get it to power on and accept commands and that was fascinating to watch do you know do you remember what it was called uh you could just youtube apollo computer uh search for apollo computer on youtube and i'm pretty sure it'll show up (laughs) oh that's cool that's really interesting yeah what kind of commands did they run uh it was more of trying just having to go through it and because it was that that computer was one of the first ones to ever use PCBs, so a lot of the components were completely analog. And watching them go through these wire mesh, uh, these wire mesh things piece by piece to make sure all the connections were good was just insane. <laughs> I I I honestly don't know what a PCB is. A printed circuit board. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, what's a printed circuit board? 
it's that green board yeah you have the green board with all the the little that looks like a city map or something on the okay back. that yeah. makes more sense the the green thing in everything nowadays that makes yeah. it work mm -hmm. and what's a computer no <laughs> 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 Eric is like, I play the Y game every day. <laughs> yeah, so that was fascinating. And then uh, the other one I found was uh, Ghost Town Living is the channel. And it's a guy who uh, lives at a ghost town near uh, near uh, Death Valley called Cerro Gordo. And he's restoring the place and owns it and goes down into the big mine that's out there. And it's he documents all his adventures on YouTube. And that's that's a lot of fun to watch, too. That sounds amazing. Oh yeah, some of his mine his mine adventures because he'll actually like dive into these mines and go exploring these tunnels with a GoPro on his head and a flashlight. It's really cool. That sounds terrifying. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> when there's no one else around, so in case you you stuck down there, no well, one will come he and help usually, you. He usually he usually when he's going into areas he hasn't explored before, he always takes a buddy. But uh, yeah. I will keep that buddy outside and say, you call in whatever needed to get me out if I'm not coming here in two hours or six hours or something. Being underground, I don't know why anybody wants to go underground. That is just terrifying mm. to me. Not yeah. even in, yeah. Yeah. I, I want to open land, open sky. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, now yeah. that you have the floor, what's nerdy with you? Oh, um... I haven't done a lot because I was really sick with COVID and bronchitis. Um, the only thing I can say I really have done is um, I found a podcast. Well, I guess it's an audio drama podcast on Audible called The Prophecy, which was very, very good. It had um, Carrie Washington in it and Lawrence Fishburne doing the acting. And there's a few other actors, but it was, it was extremely good. I really enjoyed it. I'll check that one out. Well, the idea of it, I'm sorry, I didn't really give you guys a lot on what it's about, right? So the idea of it is that the stories of the Bible aren't history. They're the future. They're prophecies. And so instead of like it being like historical stuff, like like a guy named Daniel gets trapped in a lion's den for like 24 hours and survives. And then everybody like freaks out about it. And a guy named Jonah gets swallowed by a whale inexplicably. And the government's trying to figure out how he survived for three days underwater. And, and all of it like culminates with, of course, you know, like Jesus being born, but it's like, instead of it being history, it's like the future and like all these random weird stuff is happening around the world and everybody's freaking out about it. Oh, that's wild. That sounds amazing. It was really oh, cool. It I'll, was really, I'll have really to cool. Check that out. I've been I've been out of the loop on Audible for a while and I've been meaning to get back into it. I have you listened to the law yet? Mm mm. It's the new Dresden Files short story that they only released on Audible. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I haven't listened to it yet. Have you okay. listened to it yet, David? No. Oh yeah. I don't listen I don't listen to books. I read them. Yeah, they they did a well they're going to release an ebook eventually and then maybe paper after, but they decided to do this special only audible thing this okay. one time. But I I don't have a I don't have an auditory retention rate high enough to be able to listen to books effectively. I I have to I I actually physically read. <laughs> I can definitely understand that. I I get two different kinds of experiences from I usually either read the book first and then listen to it or listen to the book first and then read it. And I I get a little bit more out of it, but I don't generally do just one of those. Mm. That's so funny cuz I'm an auditory learner. 
Mm. Yep, me too. I, I, can... I, I learn and I retain better just by listening to yeah. something. And I used to get in trouble in school all the time because I wouldn't be looking at the board. I'd be sitting like sitting there doodling and drawing pictures and stuff and like processing what they were telling me. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, Erica, stop drawing. See, I'm the, I'm the exact opposite. I was the kid that sat there and read the goddamn read the textbook every line because that's how I absorb the information. <laughs> to me, the weird thing, I used to be a reader. Now I like to I can actually concentrate longer in listening than reading weirdly enough so reading is something i need to get into and i'm more fussy about not being disturbed and stuff like that reading i just plug in and and the rest of the world goes away and i listen oh it's my favorite to do laundry or dishes or like whatever mundane chore that i don't actually have to like think about like there's no brain power to it Mm -hmm. and then i can like like sink into this world where i'm being told this story or given this information and and be done i'll be like oh i'm done oh cool like it just it's like the time just disappears so what about you brian what's nerdy with you i so probably i mean lots of things i didn't do a big epic nerdy thing this time um i've been playing minecraft in my free time i um am currently playing on multiplayer for the first time with Heather and her friend, and I, oh yeah, that is kind of nerdy. I didn't want to just join their server, because they're a community server. The way they play is they gather resources, and they do everything together, and they have all this stuff, and they never really have to worry about resource gathering, because they do it all together, and they're able to make these big, epic, automatic farms in the game, and have all the supplies they need. And I wanted to kind of prove myself before joining, so I told them, I'll join and play with you guys, but I want you to exile me um, uh, 10,000 meters away, um, and um, I'm not allowed to show up at your base until I complete some kind of task. And they gave me two bingo cards to do. And they're like, die in certain ways and accomplish certain things in the game, and I have to complete them in order to join. And I'm almost ready, but it's been hard. I, I made a little base, and I'm... I made a little fishing hut and I had it in my head that I would put a I would put a pergola window in the front of it so it looks like this tiny little fishing hut with this big giant circular window coming out of the roof so it looks like a cyclops um I other um you know the thing I I was thinking about this earlier and I think the thing I really wanted to share was um so my first like serious IT job was working at a call center. And when I did that, I had to learn how to do telecom management. And I did that for seven years. And at my current job, I do a tiny bit of phone admin, um, but I don't do as much telecom management as I used to. And I this week, I got to run some DNS reports, which are, um, they show the number that was dialed rather than the number that was called. So if there's a redirect or something, you can see the number that was dialed. And the reason why I did that is because we got a call from the police saying that there were 911 calls coming from our building. And um, it it's um, it ended up being a false thing. The number that called them wasn't one of ours, and we think it might have been a scam. So um, it was neat to do some telecom management stuff, and I don't get to do that very often. So it was, it was cool to do that. And... Um, got to sit on hold with the non-emergency police line for an hour because I had to verify that the cop that called was actually a cop. 
So I had a police report number and then I had to sit on hold for an hour for a five minute call of this is a police report number. Is it real? Yes, it's real. Okay. <laughs> um, but I, I think the real nerd out moment for me was getting to do telecom reports when I used to do it like every day. And now it's just my phone admin stuff is setting up someone's phone or um, resetting their voicemail password. And it was cool to do phone research because at the call center, I used to have to run those reports to try to track down people who would call and harass agents. I, we had breathers and perverts who would call and we'd try to track them down so we could block their phone numbers. So many perverts. Yeah. Um, uh, Erica worked at that call center for a while. Yeah. yeah the um, breathers are, are breathers are creepy. I, I want to share a story that Erica told me about working there that I always thought was really funny. Um, One where I transferred? Uh, no, no, nothing that you did wrong. Uh, uh, the Burbank, Burbank, the Burbank property with the convention that they had there every year. Oh, where, yeah. pe where people would call and they would meow or bark instead of talking in English because it was the furry convention. Mm -hmm. My favorite was the guy... Um, that called in and was calling me names because they didn't want to talk to a woman and he was really upset. And at some point I got mad and I'm like, okay, please hold. And then I transferred him to the Japanese line. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's it for me. Um, why don't we vote? I, um, so Anna wins, Brian. Yeah, I mean, we still got to go through the, I mean, the widgets will get angry if we don't go through the process. Mm -hmm. last, we don't the last thing we want is another strike. Yeah, it, well, I mean, the last time, I mean, they crawled inside one of the Mikey corpses, and I mean, it was not good. I mean, that was the episode where he just kept on belching and farting through the whole episode, and we don't want that again. So and the editing was phenomenal. So much fire. <laughs> so much fire. <laughs> um... <laughs> Excuse me while I compose myself. Anna, um, there are four of us, so you have five widgets. Who would you like to give them to and why? I give, first, I give to, to David because I think his, his uh, thing was so esoteric, cool. And, 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 and yeah, that, that someone does that as a project and put it on YouTube. And I think that's really cool. So, so you have two. So, so, so I'll, let's see. Now I have to divide it up over three so that will be well i can give the the, the the odd one off to me can you give yourself two yeah okay yeah. so, so I, i'll give uh, i give david two and and then 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 i'll give uh, let's see i give one each to 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 brian and erica because i really I, I like both of yours were interesting and and stuff not as 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 super cool as as tony's <laughs> and then whatever is left over i give to myself then yeah okay David, what about you? Uh, Anna gets three, and then I'm going to give Erica and Brian each one. And then Erica? Anna can have all my widgets. She oh forgot what reality was. <laughs> <laughs> I need them. <laughs> them. Yep. And you know what's funny is it doesn't happen very often, but it doesn't matter where I put my widgets. Um, so I'm going to give all of my widgets to, um, um, to David. No, oh, well, thank you. Um, because, um, I was reading your expression when you were, I was watching you and reading your expression when you were talking about watching those shows and you had a glint in your eye that it's, it's that when you come across something really interesting that you nerd out on and you really enjoy, I really appreciated seeing that in someone else. So that is why I'm giving you all my widgets. 
Um, I am not giving any widgets to Anna because I am afraid that her nightmares will infect other people, and I don't want to. I don't want to <laughs> give them attention. Um, <laughs> so, but Anna, you win. Yay! Oh. I'm here now. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Anthony, there. Um, we've already done the voting, but I saw so. But I still am interested in knowing what was nerdy with you. Um. I'm not sure how much I can say, so I'll just use code terms. Um, so uh, my partner and I, we decided to try um, something new as far as like um, substances is concerned. So we tried some new like um, we, we went down the road of like the, the, the Brian, you're muted. You tried a new cereal brand. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you, we, you, you had a new we, breakfast cereal. Yeah, the breakfast here was named Fun Guy. It was a very fun time. <laughs> yes, yes. So, so there was a lot of research done in that. So I think that's um. So like, I think one of the nerdier things I did was uh like leading up to the point, I did a lot of reading into um, uh the research conducted in microdosing and the effects of it as being used as like an antidepressant. Um, especially since my partner right now, like uh, like like most millennials and Gen Zers, they obviously have some form of like depression, anxiety, but they haven't gone to a psychiatrist yet to get medication. So I was like, okay. I was like looking into that and uh, a lot of the research on that has actually been done in like European countries, oddly enough. Um, and uh, there's actually a lot of really positive results. I was really shocked. Uh, a lot of the results show it is being um, at least comparable, if not sometimes better than like the common like antidepressants you would be given by a psychiatrist, which I found was I found that was pretty interesting. So yeah, I was reading a lot of different like research like articles about the topic. That's probably the nerdiest thing about about me this this like couple weeks so did you did, was it was it pure cereal or was it like a was it like a cereal that had like additives like milk or something oh no this was like yeah this was definitely the 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 pure cereal didn't have no milk no sugar i oh well i think that's real interesting i i would recommend you check out a podcast uh, or check out youtube content by a man named robert evans robert evans has done um, some very, very interesting content on use of those kinds of cereals in life for um, recreation and therapy and stuff like that. This is a great code, Brian. <laughs> I just want to, yeah. I just want to congratulate both of you on the tap dance job. This is great. Well, yeah. I, you know, um, when, well, tap dancing is a whole nother thing. Cause when I tap dance, I actually don't wear shoes, but when I eat cereal, I also only do it without milk um but i never do it while tap dancing oh you've eaten cereal before interesting um i i haven't had fun guy cereal before um but i have had the green elf um but usually the green elf i have it with lots of milk so it has a gummy consistency <laughs> yeah I, I i understand i understand that 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 um that preference for sure yeah so um huh so that's that? my preference yeah, yeah, you you know you 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 use a lot of milk and it ends up gummy. But actually, it's been a very long time because um, the last time was a few years ago, and um, I um, well, let's say um, I wasn't able to um, stop. I wasn't able to stop Lucky from taking his charms back, and um, <laughs> I um, couldn't couldn't move and. Well, let's just say couch lock happened, <laughs> and oh, I have no. not had cereal in yeah. a long time. Yeah, uh, 
that 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 can that can happen. So, um, Anna won the game, and um, we Shocking. had a, a very fun conversation about cereal. Um, I always enjoy talking about cereal, and we can we can do that again. Um, but if you, uh, if you want to find some really really good web content about that. I, I highly recommend Robert Evans. He did some um, some video stuff, and he did a a really really good one on um, indigenous um, indigenous um, people's historical cereal, and they 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 partook of those, and it was a very very entertaining thing to watch. Okay, that definitely sounds cool. Okay, yeah. got it. I will have to look that up. <laughs> yeah, he does another podcast called Behind the Bastards, which is also very fun. It's a very good thing to check out. Oh, Chris loves Behind the Bastards. He's always telling me about Behind the Bastards and Red Handed. Those are his two favorite. Oh, Red Hand, Red Handed's great. I love, I love those ladies. That's a fun one. I think he has a crush on one of them. Only wouldn't, su- wouldn't surprise me. His face lights up every time he talks about her. Yeah. Um. So today we are talking about world building, and um, as usual, we have a list of sample questions, and our guest gets to go first. I'm going to pick the first one. Um. I'm going to say, well, let's start with the let's start with the traditional question to start a topic like this. So, Anna, um, what is world building? To me, it's in my day job. It's to visualize a place that don't exist. But I think the term world building, when it comes to like fantasy in in general and and other kind of it, other genres, so to speak, I think it's much wider than that. It's like to create the place where a story that doesn't exist in the real world, so to speak. And any place that, that doesn't exist in the real world that you need to develop for a story, for for like a movie, for a book, for a theater play, for a game, and, and so on. So that, I think, will be what I would say in inverted circles will be world, world You can take it to another level, and, and it's any setting for, I mean, w- you could do world building to build activities for team building acti- activities yeah. for work development world yeah. building is one of those universal tools that's used in all forms of creativity smart yep yeah the um i what well let's dig deeper into your definition so yours is to the visual representation and I, you're obviously talking about maps um but like when you design a map um you have the setting already do you ever start the other way around where you're making a map to create a setting? Yeah, for me, it's like world building again. I do it for my own campaign. I, I, I run my games in Greyhawk that is already there, so to speak. As but you're concept. also creating your version of it, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your, I, map, I, your map that you use in that game, because I played that for a little while, your map that you use in that game is a little different than the actual... It's super detailed, so to speak. But yeah. for me, world building, when it comes to fantasy and role-playing and stuff, is that it's a three-tier process, so to speak. Meaning, I, I asked myself three questions. One, what do does the place look like visually, so to speak, the terrain, the world and, and the sky and, and, and all the things. And then who lives there? And then third, which rules governs it? And rules, I don't mean game rules only. I mean things like biology, physics, and 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 rules for magic and stuff. So so more like like in the real world, things like gravity and 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 biology and and physics and stuff. I'm trying to think what what and and it's a way for me to to think backwards. I mean, we often say that if I'm going to create a world, I'm thinking about okay, I want a steampunk or I want gothic fantasy or I want sci-fi with spaceships. But to me, I want 
to do the other way around. I said, okay, I want that world. I want a world with dragons and castles and demons and little farmers and, and elves and, and dwarfs and stuff. But what what kind of rules and systems need to be in place in order for those stories to come alive? Yeah, because you don't need to have it follow real-world laws, but you do need whatever you come up with to be consistent. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and, I understand that. Yeah, but it also depends because if I was writing a novel, I don't really need that because then I can just create a story. But once I create 10 novels and someone creates a game, then it needs to be more consistent and I need to have it. So so, so game worlds requires a lot of consistency, meaning a lot of coherent rules and systems in place to, to answer the question for players and, and, and game masters who want to kind of live and breathe and game and run their worlds, their version of the world. So 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 those are the three questions. So so landscape, inhabitants and rules are the the, the things. So that that I kind of I want to emphasize all three because I think they're really important. Oh that's fa fascinating. Anna, the floor is yours. Um what uh we'll we'll go through the round robin right now. So your question is for David. What would you like to ask David about world building? I I want to to kind of see do you uh, when when you do world build, do, do you do it for for gaming? Do you do it for 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 writing stories, or 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 is it, or and and also do you do really long term, or do you just like to do some cool little things that that drop in and mini world, so to speak, that you do for for a campaign or something, or do you have like one world you're building on that will be your epic thing for 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 your your whole gaming nerdy career, so to speak? I don't have a world that i've created 100 percent myself i tend to use a lot of pre-established uh lore and stuff mm -hmm. and just sort of yeah. build off it from there yeah. um when i'm gming when i was gming uh forgotten realms and we were in uh water deep i ended up having i ended up making a lot of that my own but the the general location and the the who's who and stuff a lot of the, the famous people were all already generated and already in there um it's a daunting task to to be able to come up with all of that stuff on your own and i, I do it sometimes slowly like if i'm gming a game and characters and the players go to an area that i haven't already thought up of having to come up with stuff on the fly sometimes can be a little uh a, a little uh difficult but mm -hmm. The hard part there is then having to keep the consistency of if they go back to that place, the same characters you come up with out of nowhere are there again. <laughs> yep. and I, I can totally uh, agree with you, Dave, because that's what I do. I, I try to understand a world mm -hmm. rather than building it from the ground yeah. up. It's, and, it's all... and to me, it's much more fun to build on something that is already there because then mm -hmm. you can share it with others who are also in on the same thing. Exactly. It gives, yeah. it, gives it a more common area to mm -hmm. be able to include other people in it. Yeah. So fanfic. <laughs> kind of, yep. sort of, yeah. Yep. I mean, if you go by that vein, though, every D&D campaign that isn't 100% to the letter of the lore as it's written in the books is going to be considered a fanfic. So. <laughs> yeah, no, fair. All uh, right, so now it's my turn to ask a question of somebody to Anthony. Anthony, have you world-built a world of your own? Or... You know, is it something that you've given, you know, do, do you have a world that you're constantly building in your mind or that you've you've used as a setting for a game for games or stories or something? Yeah, actually, quite pretty often. I, I um, um, people who know me know that I really enjoy, like, making characters. I like making up, like, little stories for them. Mm hmm. Um, are, are they always based in the same general lore lore section or do you do you jump around? 
No. So, for example, like one of my 40K armies, um, I made like a little lore of where they, um, of like the planet they came from. So I basically had to like kind of like make up a whole um, planet and like how that planet would work in the 40K system. Um, I've, there have been times I've made like um, certain settings that I wanted to use in like um, in like a, a custom campaign that I've wanted to run in D and um, I think I actually talked to Anna about that a couple of times. I was really mostly just going to use like already existing D and D maps and maybe just make some changes here and there, like move some things around. Um, and then uh, and world building isn't just like physic- building the physical world. Of course, there's also building things into it like adding adding things into it and adding objects and other stuff so uh example like i had a particular dnd character i was playing and i literally made up a god for them so because their whole backstory was that they were a warlock who um was basically their patron was a dead god like a god that once existed was defeated by one of the other gods and now the this dead god wanted to come back and so i made a god in the D&D world, um, in one of the worlds that didn't previously existed, and I added this thing in there as part of the story of this character. I think that one of the best forms of character creation and roleplay is to define how your character's backstory puts impact on the world. So when we make character backstories, we come up with who their family and their relationships are, and if they're a warlock or a witch or something like that, what is their patron? And if the, they're a cleric and they have a god, what church were they from and what was that like? And I think the best characters involve that. And Anthony, you are one of the best at adding your little stamp on the world when you create a character. Thank you. I appreciate that. It, it is it is like something I really like to do. I do I do enjoy taking the world and being like, okay, I, I want whatever I'm playing, whoever I'm playing, I want it to I, I want it to feel like they're they're like a real person in the world, like like they exist. So I try to like create pre-established like relationships and connections to ground them in whatever game I'm playing. And so so the listeners don't think I'm just being a nice host and saying that to be nice to keep keep the show going. I want to tell a little story about the first time I ran or oh, played no. with Anthony. When he goes, I wrote a character backstory. You want to see it? And I went, okay. And he handed me an 18-page document. (laughs) And he was invited to play two days before he came to play and wrote an 18-page character backstory. And I knew that Anthony was really, really excited to do that because when he actually played, he never actually shared the backstory. He just played the character based on that backstory. And he wasn't one of those players that when they do introduction, they pull out the document and read the whole thing. I was afraid he was going to do that. He didn't. He used it to flavor the character. I was really impressed. And I've seen him do that every time he's made a character. Um, and um, maybe if we have time, we could talk about this a little bit more on the bonus episode. Um, Anthony came up with a story for his Magus that was one of the most heart-wrenching character backstories I've ever had. And he role-played that heart-wrenching backstory. And it pulled stuff from his personal life Uh, from their personal life and it was amazing it was absolutely incredible and i just want to tell you that was one it was one of the most impactful um character backstories i've had the privilege of gming or playing with wow i appreciate that so much brian i really do i often think about i often think about that character because not too many players take things from their personal life and add this like creative heart-wrenching story to a character and wait really I, 
I have heard like of everybody it. did. I like I don't know. I always put a piece of myself in like just about every character I make. That, that's just me personally. I mean, I do as well. The, yeah. I, it's one of those things you can't really help but do. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I thought that was a common thing. Right. I well, I think common. the common thing is putting a little piece of your personality and stuff like that. Not taking a deeply personal. Um, are you willing to tell this story? Because I don't want to share it without your permission. Um, if not, we I, can talk about it. No, on the no, Patreon. I don't. I don't mind sharing. I'm just not sure how much of that has to do with world building. You know what I mean? I, I I think it does because you built this whole thing that had to do with the way the world worked. That's I, true. I don't, and, and tangents are fully supported. I th- but I also think it's worthwhile. And if everyone else is okay with it. Sure. Yeah. Oh, I would love uh, to hear it. Yeah. It's, so this is my first Pathfinder character. Um, and I, I like the idea of the Magus. Magus is for cool. And I like the idea of the Black Blade. Um, basically, they're uh, Magus that um, they get a magical sentient blade. And this was pretty close to the time that my son in real life passed away. So I kind of wanted to make my character around this idea that basically... Um, basically something was happening um like i think devils were or demons were doing an incursion and his son had made like a deal with some devils to try to get rid of them and try to save everything not realizing that like because his mom was a tiefling that made him part demon so like the devils basically whatever they were doing it was killing his son so as a way to save him he kind of like forced his soul into this blade so that was the magus's packed weapon was a blade and the sentient soul in the blade was his child so the whole story is him trying to figure out a way to basically like get his son out of this pact with this devil so that he won't die and but to keep him alive he has to be like stuck in the sword i when when anthony role-played the um interactions between him and the blade i had trouble not crying at the table I and this, I'm this was crying right now. Yeah, yeah. This was organized play. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's great. I think one of the greatest moments was like we were fighting the. I think we were talking. We weren't even fighting her yet. We were just talking to a hag. We we're just trying to see if we couldn't get around it. And Brian was playing this like like really like trickster kind of like likes to play pranks kind of character. So and um, this character learned that he didn't like. Um, like demons so so the little like the little like uh, like fairy creature or whatever it was was like hey i hear she's a demon and and the demon was like okay we'll roll to see if the sword takes over and i was like "Uh uh-oh failed and like right away he's like demon and attacks and like nothing happens and all of a sudden he's like oh i'm sorry (laughs) ma'am and then bam hag comes out (laughs) wow (laughs) so um Anthony, it is your turn to ask a question to Erica. I don't know how we're going to follow that. <laughs> I'm sure Erica figure out. She's awesome. Yeah, no, Erica's awesome. She's got lots of stuff. Erica, um, do you have any like particular like, like fun stories or or um, experiences you've had with world building, whether it's your own world building or seeing somebody else's world building and you're like, wow, that was awesome or or something you did and you're like, this was my really, like, I'm very proud of this world building moment. Yeah, so... I ran a campaign. Um, I'm, you know, as Brian, I'm terrible with names, but it was like a Jade something in Pathfinder. Uh, Jade Regent? Yes. Yeah. So I, I took that and I made it my own. I like to, I like to take like the guides that they give you for like mm-hmm. an adventure and then like twist them to make them my own. I find that because I'm so busy, that makes it easier for me. 
um, as like a parent and somebody that likes to game. I, I don't have a lot of time to build stuff from scratch. Um, but one of the things that I did with that one is, you know, since it's based on um, Asian culture, um, I wanted to introduce the idea of an honor system within the game itself. So I know we usually have like, you know, like bonus things that you can do when you do something like really creative or, you know, something like that. So what I had my, um, my character, my players do with their characters is to build in some sort of fault that they had to adhere to. And if they adhered to that character's fault, they got honor points because they were staying within the culture's honor system. So, um, I wish I could explain it better, <laughs> but it was essentially like the more true they stayed to their characters because their characters had things, you know, like I had them write out like what they were passionate about, what their character was about, what their hopes and dreams were, like what their motivation essentially was for their character. And I'm not saying that couldn't change, but then also a fault. Like uh, one of my players faults was he was a perfectionist. So like anytime he messed up a role or he did something negatively, he had to actually play that out. I didn't just let people roll dice and like, you know, do math. Like that was part of it, but they had to actually play their characters. Um, and so I introduced the, the honor system to give them the guidance that allowed them to be more interactive with their characters because some of the people that were in this game were newer to role-playing. And so it was a lot more difficult for them to suspend their belief in the game to be that character. So it seemed to work out well. I hope that was, that made sense. I kind of rambled a little. It made perfect sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I like, I, I like the idea of taking an existing campaign and making it your own. I do. Mm -hmm. I do. I like that a lot. The, I, and, and for the busy professional or whatever it, um, it, Unfortunately for me, sometimes running adventure paths takes more time for me because I am a perfectionist <laughs> and uh, I have to read them three times before I feel comfortable running them. Um, did, did you find that you still had to put a big time commitment in to feel like it was your own or did you, or was it just enough that it didn't feel overwhelming? Um, so as all GMs do, they kind of have you try to plan for what they're going to do, but they always never do what you think they're going to do, right? So um, I I think the most time-consuming part for me um, was coming... I like to come up with scenarios that I can just pull from instead of doing stuff on the fly when I can. So I built like 20 different scenarios, um, different encounters that might happen or um, not necessarily battles, but like... Um, people that they would run into if they went this direction. And I kind of bunched them into like, if they're in the city, this is what could happen. And it'd be random. And then if they're in the wilderness, this is what could happen. And if they're on the road, this is what could happen. Um, to make it more my own, instead of just doing the, well, roll and see if they run into something on the road when they, you know, that kind of thing. So, it, I mean, there was a time commitment to it. Um, also, I love maps. Like, I'm not just saying that because Anna's here. I love maps, all sorts of maps, fantasy maps, real world maps. I'm extremely good with geography. Um, I just, I'm a big picture person. 
So if I can see the big picture, and for me, that's a map. If I can see the cities and the roads and the rivers and the the terrain, when I can see that, everything starts falling into place in my brain. Like, like I loved what you said, Anna, about like, what are the rules that govern this world, right? Because that's a really important piece, whether they're like actual, like actual like laws or, or if they're just like norms, like common norms that, you know, the social norms that people have. And so one of the things that I did, Brian, which made it more of my own was I really studied that map. <laughs> That, that they give you with it. I really studied it hard because I could create those small 20 like instances that they could run into just by looking at this map and seeing like these scenarios start building in my imagination. So for me, maps are very important. When I do some sort of world building, I really appreciate having some place to jump off of. Um, so Brian, we, we're always talking... Um, about as a GM, what you do to build your world. And you know, I think you're one of the best GMs that I've ever had. Yeah, it gets Same. talked about a lot on episodes. I'm, I'm very aware that I, I have that people have this opinion. <laughs> yes, we do. But my question is, what is the most important thing a GM can do for you as a player to build your world? Oh, yeah, wow. My thing, Anna is also a really amazing GM. Oh, that is true. I have the privilege. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure <laughs> that can be arranged you, at some point. I, I'm sure that can be arranged <laughs> yep. at some point. Getting in, even just um, Anna, would you? Would you? If anybody who is a host here, I'm not going to throw this out to all listeners, but if anybody who is a host here, would you be uh, willing to let them sit in as a as a guest player in one of your games? Yes. Yeah, yeah I had a feeling be, the answer yep. would be yes. Mm-hmm. Yep, awesome. Definitely. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I played, I played for a little bit at the beginning and it, it, yeah. it, it was, it, it's a really, really fun thing, but then they switched to 5e and I didn't want to play 5e. I, not that I don't like 5e. I just didn't want to make a financial investment and I'm not a, I'm not a, um, go halfway type of player. And I already spent a lot of money on Pathfinder. Um, so ask the question again, cause this was a deep one. What is it that a GM can do as a player? What's the most important thing a GM can do for you as a player to build the world for you? Oh, gosh. So if I'm playing and a G, the GM can do for me to build the world for me, I don't think there's one thing. There are things I enjoy when GMs do. Um, I'm a big fan of random content. I like it when there are things that repeat that are pre-prepared like tables and stuff that could just happen and the GM is willing to just let it go. Um, Another thing a GM can do for me that's really great for world building is if I say, no, we shouldn't do that. We should just say, fuck this and go do something else that the GM will roll with that and not push us into doing the first thing. But also that GM will have a consequence for us not doing the first thing. That's not a punishment. So for example, um, we're supposed to invest. We we have been led to investigate this thing, and then one of the players says, "This doesn't really matter to us." Yeah, there might be some victims, but someone else will step up and handle it. I think we should do this instead. And that GM would be like, "Okay, what do you do to do that?" And then you go do it, and um, that GM is ready to improv and come up with something, and then prep for next game, or they're willing to say, "Yeah, that's great. I'm not ready to do that right now. Can we do that next game?" Or they never say no. They always come up with something 
and they don't do the okay go ahead and do that and then they just do the same encounters they already planned i i like the ability to do you rescue the child from the well no we go do something else <laughs> um and then there's not a punishment but something happens in the world because of that action and it may come up later it may not but it's sort of like the the girl in the well was secretly the princess the whole time and the princess is dead so the king goes into a depression which leads to him starting being influenced by his advisor that leads to him starting a war with another nation and that war impacts the players and the players probably don't find out until after the campaign that they caused it yep yeah i, yeah. I think that, that that's a great approach i yeah. yeah i think that flexibility and no matter how much has been planned the gm is able to go all right, cool. Go for that. Go to the mountain range instead of the forest that I spent six days planning. I go to the dungeon instead of go to the dungeon that I prepped for when you're 20th level. Now, feel free. Go ahead. That's cool. I can roll with that. Um, I I like that. I like and um, I think one of the first GMs I played with that could really do that well is Anna because Anna doesn't prep everything. She leaves a lot of things open she has an yeah, idea of what's things. where yeah i prepped two things i prepped the i have mapped everything so so yeah. i literally mean everything everything within 10 miles where they can reach in the next game session is mapped down battle mapped everything is like i have five foot squares of everything within miles around every building everything and every inhabitant is is kind of i have a very an almost detailed level of everything that is there for two reasons one is that it's i need that they should be believable all the creatures should be believable and they should have like a, a, at least a backstory of one line and one line backstory that's the barkeep at that inn or the the, the maid at the, the castle or whatever it is meaning all that including animals and, and other stuff you might see meaning what kind of biome and the other thing is that they also have a place during the session where they are because if they're important time and geography also play a distance meaning if they piss someone off that is 10 miles away it will take that creature or person or whatever it is so many hours or minutes or days to get to where the characters are depending on what direction the characters go and and meaning can that villain find them and and how long will it take so so when that happens if it's a dragon you can fly around looking for you and it will find you quickly but if it's someone who who's just pissed off you regularly and and, and need to go out and answer ask people and, and it's kind of funny i've had instances where there have been like evil various evil creatures who've been looking for the party and they go around asking people and and if they don't get answer they simply chop the heads off and and cast to speak with dead afterwards and the characters were like oh we forgot something so we need to go back in that village and they found a whole pile of bodies laying around everywhere and they wondered what what the heck was then and 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 then so, so they, they can kind of all of a sudden they were seeing it and and they put didn't put two and two together at first so to speak but you can you can get a lot of connection simply by geography and time and geography are underrated that's why i don't have any kind of it's not canned things that's going to happen things will unfold as they unfold so to speak which i think is fun but erica i love your question and let me just go in 30 seconds into it that what i think is what i want to see from from a good dm and that i try to provide to my players first i want to to have a DM should explain things, not to the player, but to the character. You should speak to the character because that way you increase the immersion. 
And you should also not force the players to read all these backstories and all these boring things about religion and ancient history and stuff. Explain it to the character in the moment and, mm-hmm. and, and recall to the character that, oh, you remember this, you learned this back in the day, so to speak. And also, for instance, you, you also should speak to the experience of the character. If the character is a newbie and they're out walking and they've never seen out in the countryside, they've never been through a war or anything like that, and there's like a forest next to the trail and you can say oh there's some cute little trees next to, next to the trail and blah 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 and they will walk past and the orcs will jump out and 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 and, and ambush them but mm-hmm. let's say the player plays a 15th level ranger who's been through three campaigns and 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 six wars and and survived all the battles you will say well the trail goes up it's empty it's uphill a little bit and then you have some trees on the right that are 40 feet away and and there's very little cover there's no no rocks on the other side nothing so so if there's going to ambush that's the place to hide so so you will kind of tell the character or the player what the character should know and understand i think that's the way to convey a lot of the world information so to speak when it's needed for the player at the moment so to speak not in huge backstories and long dwindling whatever See, I, I agree with that. Um, you can ask David. I did that a lot when yeah. I was running to where it's like, you would know this. This mm-hmm. is a thing that you yep. would know. This is what's happening. This is what you see. This is the feeling yep. that you're getting based off of who you are and what your experience is in the world so far. And I think that worked really well because we had, um, well, really just one new player. My sister was really new and she had never played before and she really wanted to play. And I think she was enjoying herself a great deal. Um, unfortunately her significant other also joined us and it ruined it for everybody. So that was terrible. Yeah. This wasn't the game that David played, was it? Because David played a game with Rachel too, didn't he? Yeah. It was that that one. Oh, that's Mm -hmm. too bad. I didn't know that happened. It ended. Yeah. You're muted, David. I said, oh, is that why? Yeah. That's why it ended. Uh, I see. Because he was a lot of people. I think David was the least impacted by it. He was just like, whatever. I played with min-maxers before and people yeah. did, you know, a lot of meta stuff and, you know, yeah, it's fine, whatever. We I were trying to role play and he was not. Yeah, <laughs> he, he was, was in it for the numbers. Yeah. Yeah, he was in it for the numbers. He wasn't in it for the experience. But that's yeah. a typical I, difference I, in play style. Yeah. It's unfortunate that the end of the game because I find that having clashing play styles is usually okay for me. I I just don't like the person who's going it was everyone else. I, I guess it was yeah, everyone else that had an yeah. issue with it. Like, I've played enough for society play where stuff like that doesn't bother me. Yeah. I think it used to bother me a lot before I played in society. I, I, I think I had that same point of view that it really, really bothered me. There are times it bothers me in society. When someone yeah. talks about how much DPS they do, I oh, like... Oh, right. It's like, dude, shut up. <laughs> yeah. I, as the, as the GM, I wasn't bothered. I was fine to keep going. Yeah. Um, I just kind of went, no. That doesn't work. You can't do that. Do you know why? I'm the GM. That's why. You know, and I was fine reeling them in like that. Um, David, again, I think society was better at that. Uh, other players we had felt that he was being so disrespectful to me as a GM and to the group that they no longer wanted to play. And then my sister, unfortunately, felt like she was in the middle of it because she couldn't. She felt the same way, but it was her significant other, so she couldn't be like, "Yeah, oh. try calling out Erica while she was trying to GM," and was like, "That's not how that works." And it's like, yeah, "Come on, man, stop." Stuff like that, <laughs> and 
and she was she she was stuck in the middle. So I think everybody just kind of agreed we were done. It was my like, my favorite GM quote about this kind of situation is that's not how that works. No, it's not normally how it does. Weird, huh? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's David. Yeah, weird, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that's not how that works. You know, you're right. Weird, isn't it? <laughs> but it did. <laughs> Actually, one of my favorite things to do about min-maxing is I like to make a min-max character. Give me a minute. I don't mind... Well, Anthony's taking a second. I don't mind min-max characters if the character doesn't know they're min-maxed. If you're playing the character as the character, but you have their stats min-maxed, and they fuck up shit they think they should be able to do all the time, 100% bring your min-max character. (laughs) There we go. I, Sorry, I had it where I could like hear myself talking and it was really throwing me off because oh. I was like testing audio things earlier and I forgot to set up the feature where I could hear myself. So it's uh. throwing me off hearing myself. Um, so, but what I like to do is I like to make a min-max character. So I'll, generally I'll go into like character creation with like an idea of like something that I want to do that's like kind of strong or powerful. Like I did this with the Magus. Um, and then I want to, and then I try to think of role play things for that character because I also, I don't like characters that are like zero role play and all they do is min max. So example, like the Magus, yeah, he's really good in combat, but he had like no charisma. And so like, that was like a huge weakness. So if there were ever moments when like, oh, things had to be charismatic or he had to like say something, I was like, oh, we're in trouble. Um, So I like, I like to min max sometimes kind of, I mean, I'm not like super amazing at it, Um, but then I like to, add story to that powerful character yeah see that's the thing though it's is when it comes to characters like that there's there's give and take on both sides the the part of it is the player you need to read the room and learn what the other players at the table are going to focus on if they're going to be more role play focused then they're not going to appreciate your min maxed ass sitting here but if the rest of the party is all min maxing as well then a a role play centric game style is probably not going to work for the rest of the table either well, and I think it depends to an extent. So, like, example, I'm going to be playing in a new campaign and we're doing Tomb of Annihilation. And we have some new players doing Tomb of Annihilation. I don't know why the DM is doing Tomb of Annihilation with new players, but they are. Because um, but... they because the, the GM wants to give them a baptism by fire. <laughs> right. So so I'm making a Sorlock, which is well known in 5e as like one of the like one of the premium cheesy like power builds, right? Um now I don't plan now i don't plan on like going super op all the time so like the the main strategy of like a sorlock is basically you take devil sight you you cast darkness on yourself nobody can see you so they all get disadvantaged you hit them with all your eldritch blasts um using meta magic and you hit them like four times a turn you're doing a bunch of damage everything's on advantage like it's it's a lot of damage right um but i don't plan on um doing that very often i want to mostly like do like buffing debuffing being more of a support role but if things get hairy if things get bad and i feel like people are going to die especially since we have new players i could very quickly like turn on the okay now it's time to kill shit button right but we can also agree that you are not the stereotypical min maxer so yeah, I wouldn't have been so. Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's not about min maxing it's about the attitude of it yeah it's like i i c- can be a crunchy crunchy min maxer no oh, yeah. i play the game and don't go 
See, uh, math, the, math, math, you're doing it wrong. Even see, though I do sometimes say you're doing it wrong because I can be a bit of a rules lawyer, but I try to control that. See, the group I'm running through Carrion Crown, they are all war gamers. So for them, it's a strategy game. And there's no role, there's almost no role play involved. For me, I have a problem with people who want to, to min max and build characters that has nothing to do with the story. They're just like, oh, these are cool rules. I got a, a, a now I, we have these new cool rules for aquatic super assassins coming from, from this steampunk, whatever themed uh, thing at, at some, some, some things. And they say, oh, I want, I'm going to play that in your campaign. I said, no, no, no. These are the few things you can choose from, and that's it. So, so I'm, I'm very much like, you can min max, but it needs to theme the campaign. If you want to play a, 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 a something that is look like a clown and, and comes from, from planet droid, not my campaign, not this <laughs> campaign. I need to have a campaign for clowns coming from the planet droid that are painted so-and-so in the face and have these oh, yeah. magic abilities. Yeah, because there are some the people... Yeah. yeah, there are people who come up with some kind of wacky builds online that it's like, okay, you take one dip in the monk and you take two dips in the fighter and then yeah. you go bard for like the blah, blah, blah. And mm -hmm. it's like, what... What person in real life would do this? <laughs> well, for me, it's like you need to, Jackie to and that's Chan. why I've tweaked my, my, oh, sorry. Jackie Chan. Sorry, there's an answer to that question. Mm -hmm. I disagree. I think he's straight fighter. He's yeah. a dancer. Now, he used to be a dancer, and then he was in softcore porn for a while, too. Right, yeah, he's a dex-based fighter. Yeah, you he's can. He's a dancer you can do and uh, yeah. actor. He's, yeah. a, he's a bard. Monk, and he yeah. spent some time at Shaolin Temple. So yeah, Bard Monk fighter. But tying back to, to world building, I think that the character building should be and character creation should tie into world building. At least I want that in my campaign. So so when I run things that the characters should fit in the world, so to speak. And that's something I'm, I'm keen on, like in the current campaign, only humans and, and only a few different things. And I even going to go classless as a way of world building, because all the features that the characters will pick up will be either things that they had. And I've, I've forced uh, Brian into that too, saying we have zero levels. So you don't even have a class and in the beginning. Cool. So you have to learn things that you can pick up in the world, so to speak. If you want to learn magic, you have to find someone to teach you or you have to figure it out yourself. And, something and I want to do. Everything. Yeah. Sorry. Um, something no, I want to do, because I, I read this like recommendation online and I thought it would be really cool, though I don't I don't know because I'm, I'm worried it would like upset people. But something I thought it would be really cool would be um, I want to do the... Um, what is it called? The the fairy campaign in five E. Um, but basically, it's it's a campaign where you go to the Fey Wilds, you start on this carnival, and what I want to do, the recommendation online was to basically like not allow the players to play a lot of magical races, make it to where they all have to play humans. So it's like it's a very basic. There are kids in the background. Um, to where it's very basic, low magic. That way, when they go into the Fey Wilds, it's such a huge flip because it's like okay, because if you have like a bunch of people who are like, oh, this is the dragonborn, and this is the this is the um the half giant, and this is the orc. It's like you go to the Fey Wilds, it's like whatever. But if it's like a team of just basic normal humans maybe they're all like farmers or, or smiths and then also they're in the world of fairies that would be such a huge twist and that sounds fun to me if just like taking normal mundane people and throwing them in like a weird fucked up world you have explained the entire concept of playing call of cthulhu yep you're playing normal people who get thrown into a fucked up world and they're I think there even is a Call of Cthulhu adventure that involves fairies, that they made it very cosmic horror Cthulhu-esque. I think there's a whole bunch of cool Cthulhu-themed things, like Roman stuff. There's like steampunk Cthulhu. There's Yeah, yeah tech, Cthulhu yeah. tech. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I beyond think... the Witchlight. It's Beyond the Witchlight. That's the name of the campaign setting. It's mm -hmm. Beyond the Witchlight. Cool. Yep. yep. So 
Um, Anna, we're going to have to wrap up and get the bonus episode soon, but we have time for one more question. So you can ask a question to anybody or everybody. What would you like to ask about work? World I would think everybody, meaning when 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 you build, and now I'm simply assuming where you make it for one campaign, so to speak. Meaning when you world build, what is your scope? Do you do you world build for scene by scene, or do you do you do sand big sandbox and and you sit down and, and meaning how much of an over prepper? That's what I would ask. Okay, let's let's direct that to you? David first. Yeah, uh, I am not an over prepper. Like I have a general outline, and then a lot of it is just improv, and it's like oh. That's canon now. How you do that? Yep. Well, that's canon now. It's I, I I can't really explain it other than that I can come up with things sometimes quite easily. And someone's like, I want to go to a store. Okay, you find a store. The guy running it is named John. He welcomes you. What can I do for you? <laughs> awesome. You yeah, that too. I have like random. Uh, what I like to do is think of like this is probably giving it away. Have you ever people watch? Like you go to a mall mm-hmm. or you go to a park. It's some public place and people. Yeah, watch. it's very fun. So one of my favorite things to do with people watching is I like to take a journal with me and I like to people watch. And then I take notes about what that person is doing, what they look like, you know, their demeanor. And I create a story for that person. And so I'd be like, oh, you know, She's a lady that, you know, was married for, you know, 70 years and her husband just passed away and now she's learning life again. She's decided she really loves gardening and, you know, whatever it is. And I build this story around that as like, for me, that's like a writing exercise that I do. And then when I'm building a world or, or like David's saying, like they, they do something and it's just random. I've taken those, those stories that I've built for these people and I make them like characters. So I'd be like, oh, she's a tiefling who had married an Asimar and the Asimar, you know, something like that. And then I've just created this random character that way. That, that's one of my favorite things to do. I came up with a method when I was running uh, the campaign that you played in, the online campaign we ran for a couple of years, Anna. Yeah. Um, I came up with, if you guys asked to go to a place that I hadn't described, my rule was that... I would describe it, but I would include one unusual thing described by one sense, one of the five senses, or sometimes six. So I would go, okay, you go into the store, um, it's an alchemy shop, Um, there's a taste of copper in the air, and that would lead, that would help add I, I would always it sometimes it would be two to three senses something you generally it was just one because i would describe one unusual thing and that always led you guys to ask a question or check out a thing and That's that was right. how i improv and more than once you guys thought i planned it and on occasion i did on occasion the unusual thing was a plan um but it was a, and it was a challenge to me to just go okay which sense am i going to do let's do scent okay you can sell um you go into the blacksmith and there's a scent of strawberries in the air there's always something strange yeah that's cool yeah i mean and then i had when you ask questions about it i had it it forced me to think okay yeah because he has a strawberry garden in his office (laughs) one of my favorite things to do is i will uh i'll prep like a town or something and the people are in it and the party will be like oh no we're gonna go here instead Okay, erase the name of the town, write the <laughs> name of town. All right, you're in this place now. <laughs> wow. Yep. It's it's a good it I've I've done the we go to a town 
and um, I've prepped it. They spend some time there. They meet a few people. Then they go to another town, and I cross off the people they met right. and then use yeah. the people that I prepped for the other town that I hadn't used yet, the new town. Exactly. Or uh, the, the the biggest story I have for that of anything is I was playing uh, Star Wars. I was running a Star Wars RPG game, the uh, D20 system. And I had it. We were run, I was running them through the New Jedi Order era. We were doing the Yuzong Vong War. And I spent the better part of two weeks planning a space battle based around the planet Ithor, which actually happened in the books and a whole bunch. It was great. And the party hyperspace in, I read them the like page and a half of blurb I had about what was going on. They go, oh, yeah, screw this. We leave. They, they turned their ship around and left. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> um, yep. So so my my world building process is um, now I haven't DM'd yet. I still have to do that. So I haven't done as much extensive world building as any of you guys have done. But in the few times I've had, like for my 40k armies or in the campaigns I've wanted to run, but I haven't been able to yet, is um, as we've established, I'm a very character centric like person when it comes to, like story writing, world building, blah, blah, blah. Everything is very, very um, character focused. So I do what I call, and I will explain this, I call it the Tolkien way of, of world building. Okay, I'm going to explain why I call it the Tolkien way of world building. I'm not trying to imply I'm as good as Tolkien. So I will I have this idea in my head of characters, things that I want. So it's like, I want this villain. I think this would be a cool villain. I want these kind of heroes. I want these kind of NPCs. Like I have ideas of people and I go like, what kind of world would create these people? How would these people like uh, pop out of like, what kind of, what kind of environment would create these types of people and then i build the world around that the reason why i call it the tokian way of world building is because that's how tokian wrote lord of the rings he he didn't write it because he's like he was some big like i love writing fantasy stories he wrote it because he liked writing um languages he liked to make up languages so he made up a bunch of languages he made up the elf language he made up the dwarf language and he was like well if i'm gonna make a language there needs to be a world for my language to exist in. And that's where Lord of the Rings came from. It came from a desire to have his language exist somewhere. So that's kind of how I do things of like, I have characters I like, but they need a place to exist in. Yep. That, that, that's really cool. I, I, I describe, I basically do the same thing. I, like we said in the beginning, landscape inhabitants and rules. Those are yeah. the, the, the three pillars in, in my, but I do one trick during my, my games in order to, because I don't want to know how the game, the, the play ends and stuff. So, so all the factions that are involved in the campaign at the moment, the, the sides that are on the player side and the villain side and whoever other side, there might be a heck coven sitting out in the forest or, or whatever. So, so I, I made the players roll a d20 and I add that to the faction roll. Sometimes I openly say it's for this faction or that faction. Sometimes it's for a secret faction that the players don't know yet. And I use them to see which one is on top, so to speak, which faction is, is leading the current events and taking actions and, and which ones are now confused, don't know and, and whatever. And that is a really cool way because then I let the players and the dice decide to, to, to where the campaign is heading, so to speak. And I have to kind of come up with something that follows that. That gives me a bit because I want to play in my own games, but I don't want to be a player. 
player in it, so to speak. That would be so terrible if, like, the players are like, okay, we're going to go deal with these hags. And they're like, yeah. okay, at the end of the thing, you're like, I need you to roll D20. Let's see how the hags are doing. So we rolled a 20. It's like, yeah. oh boy, that next yeah. session is going to be real tough for you guys. Yeah. And and the fun thing with that is that that scares the players when they realize that, oh, we have I used the major villain. And when his scores goes up, they're like, oh, <gasps> and they're like, oh, now we're going to see nasty evil priest everywhere and stuff. So, so yeah. One of my favorite tricks is build up the search for a while and then when they finally decide to do the search have that enemy they're searching for ambush them the absolute next night it's thing. such a fun thing to do and it and have the enemy gloat about their conversation like they had spies or something <laughs> <laughs> i um it, let them do a planning session do let them do as perfectionist of a planning session as they possibly can to come up with what their plan is and then have that enemy just show up i think anna did that with a black dragon once mm -hmm. where we were planning on checking out this whole black dragon thing and the black dragon just showed up after the he, planning session he was session. laying in, in in the lake or there was like actually a river yeah. that was kind of widened out to small lake and and he was waiting there because that was like the next to to the normal rest stop where people on the road took a night off so he was waiting and i gave them plenty of warning like his foul smell that is like an old sheep carcass that flows up to the water next to the water floating around looking really bad smelling bad whatever and 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 they didn't take the bait so then then we were dragon attack they were fifth level and survived that encounter we oh, didn't yeah. win wow. and then, we didn't Congrats. win we survived but and the, then the, yeah i got killed by a death knight and uh, I was fifth level. You you were the ones that the Death Knight was just going through. No, and 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 I gave them all the ample warning, like there's ominous weather coming and everything and so on. And they were like, "No, we go out there." And, and oh, that's coming! It's coming the road. We we got to put a, a rope across and the road. We were and straight and, up told what it was. We were told yeah. it was a Death Knight, and we tried yep. to fight it anyway. Yep. It, it had a lot to do with how confident the Paladin sounded. Yep. Ah, and yep. we all played in character. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and the Death Knight didn't bother first, but they managed to unhorse it. So so it fell off its horse and and but stood up on the ground. And then he's like, oh, there's someone there. And then then and and then they and it was like, I want to go to to point B when I'm on heading. And and he was kind of looking around. Is anyone threatening me or 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 or, or so on? And, and and then they were like, yeah, we coming out of the, the ditch to attack it. And then then he blasted and and went after them. So well, yeah. this uh, is this Brian's... is time. Oh, okay. I was about to Sorry, say, Anthony, to this is time. <laughs> we are at time. I have to cut you off, unfortunately. I apologize, Anthony, but I have to cut you off because we're at time. I, but we're, we can do in the bonus episode, so you can share it there. Um, so hold on to that thought because I do have to give Anna a chance to promote anything she's working on. Well, I can promote my my Patreon and and my website and stuff. I'm, I can also so at annabmeyer.com you can go there and and find out stuff that that I post and and a lot of Greyhawk maps, heraldry, and and a bunch of stuff. And I'm also working on a, a box for Troll Lord Games together with Jay Scott of Lord Gizumba. We're working on the Altamira box set that will be set in um, in Aird, the the Castle of Crusade, um, Troll Lord's uh, home home world. But it will also fit into Greyhawk, and that will be a special document on how to run it in Greyhawk and all the maps from there will fit into the future oh, that's Greyhawk amazing. maps. Yep. So so where, so it's it's coming. Where can people find you on Twitch? Because I know you do Twitch. Oh yeah, it's Anna underscore B underscore Meyer. I am writing that down. Mm -hmm. Um do you have 
someone else's show that you attend regularly? Oh yes, at Lord Gusumba on on. Twitch. Yeah, yeah, you had yeah, mentioned yeah. that. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we have on on uh, we have a Ladies and Lore show a show on Wednesdays where we talk about Greyhawk lore, and then I'm usually on on Sundays a Gabin where we just talk friend, g- regular role playing game stuff, so to speak, and our campaigns and and whatnot. Oh, and that's have, We usually have a lot of guests and stuff. So we have guests from Whistle Coast. We have Eric Mona, Jason Bowman, James Jacobs. We've had lots of players. Luke Gygax, Ed Greenwood. Yeah, we've had lots of cool guests oh. from the from the industry. Well, Anna, I want to let you know this is the fullest house we've had a long time, and I think it's mostly because you're here. Everybody oh. made it a priority to make it to this episode. <laughs> so thank you for coming, Anna, and thank you to everybody who could make it. Um, world building is a topic that's close to all our hearts. I think we all had a lot of stuff we wanted to share that we didn't have time to. So if you want to hear more, we're going to talk about some behind-the-scenes stuff that we had planned. We'll try to fit some world building stuff. And if you want to hear more, you can find the the bonus content on our Patreon at ner- patreon.com slash nerdpodcastradio. And um, that's it. So I have been Super Vegan Brian. I was joined by Kirstie Smurferka. Hi. David the Bald the Third. Bye, everybody. And you, Anthony. Bye. I love you all. And our special guest, fantasy cartographer, Anna Meyer. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) This has been Nerd Podcast Radio. Stay nerdy, stay informed, and stay awesome. Awesome. Stay awesome. David, say goodbye. Bye. Oh, was I supposed to (laughs) cut?